Carson, a little transparency for the people. We tried to do this last night. Didn't uh, didn't quite work out with the old technology. We're here again. We got beautiful water backgrounds behind us. I don't know what the weather's like in North Carolina, but it's a nice sunny day here in Texas. Got good vibes. Women's Final Four tonight. Men's Final Four this weekend. NBA, every game feels like the playoffs. I want to start, though, with a bit of trivia for you. I've got two, two bits of trivia I saw from the, uh, the Twitter world today. First one, do you know who San Diego State's all-time assist leader is? Oh, this is a really interesting question. I feel like you're going to give me an answer, and I'm going to be like, wow, I should have known this. But I'm just going to go with Kawhi because he's the only San Diego State player I can name off the top of my head. The I answer is strike that. Malachi Flynn, that's my guess. No, great guess. The answer is Tony Gwynn. Oh, nice. Yeah, how about how about that? The baseball player? Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, the man who hit whatever, 330 for his career. 338 for his career. I just looked it up as I was saying that. Tony Gwynn is the uh the all-time assist all-time assist leader. He was a hooper too. I think he might have been a I don't I think he was a football player in high school too, but he's up there with Dave Winfield for the uh Greatest three sport athletes of all time. Dave Winfield, Joe Maurer, both come from Minnesota. Good on them. Obviously, Bo Jackson in that mix, but I always love stats like that. Next one. Uh, how far away is FAU's court from the beach? Spoiler it says on the court how far away they are from the beach. It's like uh, written where, like, it says, like, David Mary Smith Court. There says blank miles to the beach. Okay. Well, this is interesting because. I am looking at a national park trip in Miami in in May, and uh, I was doing some research around Miami, and FIU is, like, right next to Miami. And I was like, wow, that's insane how close FIU and Miami are, like, right next to Miami, or to, like, Coral Gables and the beach. So FAU is in Boca. Boca's right by the water. I'm going to go with 32 miles to the beach. 1.5. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, their court also says winning in paradise across it. There's got to be so many times where those guys practice and then just go directly to the beach. That I mean, talk about a good life. They're getting all this money coming in. They're making $10 million upgrades, I believe, is the number I saw today with old Dusty May and his extension. So good for Dusty. Good for them. It's like... It's like Florida Gulf Coast, if they could actually build something, because they're going to the American. They're going to pay up yeah. for a coach. They've got a great coach. So they've got this run. Literally says winning in paradise on the court. So in the previous edition of this podcast that we tried to record, I kind of shit on FAU a couple times, but now I'm in. Like, you I'm going were to all, You were down on them, telling me you didn't want to go watch them in the Final Four. I, FAU is still a really cool college. And Dusty May, interesting choice by him to stay there. Um, I doubt he'll have the same kind of success he had this year continuously, even with improved facilities, but good luck to him. Uh, hopefully they become like a mini mid-major power like Creighton was a decade ago or however long it was. They were in Missouri Valley. So that'd be kind of fun for them to build that all the way up. It does feel like Dusty May, even though he signed this extension, is probably going to get a big time job in like either next year or the year after when like Hubert Davis gets like fired from North Carolina or like Mike Woodson gets let go from Indiana and Dusty May can be like, I was the ball boy for Bob Knight. I'm going to come save the Hoosiers. And then he gets like, I don't know, 8 million a year or whatever ungodly figured college basketball coaches are getting paid these years, these days. Man, if you told me though, that I could get whatever he makes probably like 2 million now, I didn't see the exact details of the contract. I don't know if they came out, but let's say I get 2 million and I'm the King of Boca. Like, before that was just some teed up 74 year old from Iowa. Like now, the, now the King of Boca is a young guy, Lane Kiffin. Remember when Lane Kiffin had them going? It was actually, they were actually getting people at that stadium. Hashtag uh-huh. come to the FAU was tweeting out pictures of him just overlooking the beach every day. Uh, that was, that was, I great. mean, the other giant advantage for Dusty is that, like, based on this, he can just kind of coast for like the next five to six years. Like, oh, yeah. Have- he, like there's no pressure there either. He gets paid a boatload of money. He lives in paradise. There's very limited pressure on him and FAU to to actually perform year in and year out. Like it's a, it's kind of like the backup quarterback gig in the NFL. If you can get it, it's probably one of the better jobs you can find in the world. And think of what you can do in the transfer portal when you're competing for some of these guys, like a mid major guy moving up or something like that, or even like a high major guy moving down. You just show them like campus. Be like, hey man, you played at. 
Syracuse for three years. Why don't we come here? Look at this. Here's what it looks like in December here. Like, you want to come play for me? I made the Final Four. Jim Beheim hasn't made the Final Four as recently as I have. Fucking Jim Beheim. Oh. I hate Jim Beheim. Sorry. Oh, aren't, you, aren't you glad he's retiring, Brett? Well, he didn't retire. He was forced out for being a prick. What a prick that guy is. We talked about NATO. It's being a prick in the other podcast we did. Jim Beheim, the original smarmy prick. Uh, Jim Beheim is the definition of got old and crusty and just like became a curmudgeon yelling at the clouds of nothingness in college basketball. There's the a lot of here. We don't talk guy. about that. Whoa, didn't know that one. Didn't he get a hit and run? Uh, that did someone did someone not die? Die? I don't think he let me, died. Let me let me correct the record. That that seemed. I think he was definitely in a car accident. That was definitely his fault. That he definitely didn't get. Nope. He killed. It. He killed a guy. Oh, all right. Cool. Good job, yep. Jim. Uh, New New York Times headline makes it pretty black and white on the Google shirt. Jim Beheim struck and killed a man with his car is the first whatever six words. I don't know what the full headline is, but. That's uh, police say is the uh, follow up on that, but yeah, Jim Beheim killed a guy. Uh, well, uh, that just goes to show your small town police force. How has he not been convicted of that? Like, uh, we didn't it, get a manslaughter charge, nothing. I think it was like, uh, I think it technically wasn't his fault because, well, it wasn't his fault because he's Jim Beheim, but like, I think the guy was like walking across an overpass in the middle of the night or something like that. So, like, should have been able to not kill him, but, like, enough where it's like, ah, we can get Jim Bam out of this. So. It's like Kendall Roy and his his dad with Logan. Yeah. Getting around and killing the waiter. Waiter. Amy Sensor, Minnesota's own. That was a famous one there. She killed someone. Joe Sensor's big restaurant. Blah, blah, blah. Good old old Rob Kennedy killing people with cars. Yeah, a lot of people kill people with cars and just kind of get away with it. They do. They really do. Don't go to shop and quit it with that guy. Um, this is this is a quick sidebar. You remember the Scar Brothers? No. The guys with the glasses on ESPN, they used to do cheap seats on ESPN, like real late no, night I stuff. Do. ESPN, oh. I, I do well, not. Well, they had uh, it was like these two New York Jewish comedians who were like big New York sports fans, and they were on like the ESPN classic lineup after like Stump the Schwab. Like they're in that era of ESPN type programming. Okay. They used to do a show called, used to do a show called Cheap Seats, which they would just watch like the 1979 world darts championship and would just break it down <laughs> live. And then they'd cut it into like a 20 minute show would be wildly popular on YouTube. Now I know people do stuff like it, but they would just sit there and they'd be like, Whoa, check this out. Check out this guy's accent. One year they watched the 19, like 85 national finals rodeo. The reporter at the time is someone who worked closely with the cowboy channel. Now she's like in her sixties and it's Pam Medic, but she's like a really famous and like been the rodeo matriarch been around for 30, 40 years. Everyone knows okay. her. Everyone loves her. They became obsessed with Pam Minnick. And so they did a whole bit in the next episode where they did slam poetry for Pam Minnick. And <laughs> one of the lines, which I still say to myself sometimes, is I would never let Bobby Kennedy drive you to Shapaquiddick, Pam Minnick. And, <laughs> and it kills me every time. So very quick uh, aside there on all that. You want to talk, you want to talk women's basketball now that we talked men's a little bit, kind of. You got any men's final four takes before we move on to the women, actually. Let's let's clean that up first. All right, we'll clean up the men's. While we're on the subject of watching old stuff, uh during the pandemic, I watched the North Carolina Georgetown 1982 Final Four. That game is like so jarring to watch compared to what basketball is now. That's so one of the throws any... the wrong team after Jordan hits the game winner. Uh yes. Yes. Well, it's the game winner for Jordan. I don't know about throwing to the wrong team, but I'm yeah, that's sure how the last possession ends. Accurate. They're like, yes, yeah, yeah like trying to find him, and then yeah, they just and he, yeah, hands just it to the guy. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think yeah, he yeah. tossed it to James Worthy to be specific. Anyway, that is true. But that game is just so weird to watch. So, if any of you basketball fans listening to this have gotten through the first 15 minutes of us talking about nothing and want to <laughs> absolutely find, fucking nothing, <laughs> and want to find 30 minutes of like weirdo <laughs> basketball that could be played in an alternate world, look up that game because it's very strange. To bring that back around and to talk about the national title game here for the men's side, I uh, don't have a ton of takes. Um, I think SDSU beats FAU because defense wins championships. And it looks like UConn's just going to roll over everybody they play. Although Miami, weirdly, Jim Laranega, George Mason, Final Four kind of deal. But UConn looks really good, and Danny Hurley looks like probably the coach of the year 
um, even though he won't win it because it's a regular season award. But shock, I won it today, by the way. Also, so there you go. Interesting. Thank you for that note. Uh, very strange thing that if UConn wins this title, they'll further cement their status as the best program in the last 25 years. And this would, I believe, be their fifth title in 25 years. And Duke and UNC are both only at three, and they're the next closest. So you, can, can you do that though? Can you do, three, can you do it with three different coaches? Is that a knock or is that something better? Like you had to get I a feel, bunch of coaches. I guess Calhoun left, but Ollie just got outright fired. What a weird Ollie, title. Kevin Ollie's title is the weirdest title of all time. Ever. And it's the weirdest like coaching career ever. I don't even know if he still coaches. It's like the Ime Udoka thing, but like for college, but I don't even know what happened. He just like won a title and then like I don't know away. actually. They where, like, just like disliked him. They just decided that we're out on Kevin Ollie like a year later. It was the strangest thing in the world. I, I think he got two years after that title, and then they <laughs> clipped him and said, see you later. Try to guess. Try to guess where Kevin Ollie is coaching right now. Uh, North Texas. No, North Texas just won the NIT. Their coach is going yes, to uh, uh, Texas Tech. Um, that's like 30 minutes from me. I thought about going to one of the NIT games there out in Denton, Texas. Um, but anyway, he coaches for Overtime Elite, the Instagram wow. account that tried to make their own basketball league that now no one watches, which apparently that league has like actually happened. Which Oh, no, it's like a real thing. They have like a couple of like uh, NBA like lottery picks in that league. Like there's, really? I think there's two, two brothers. Oh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're play, yeah. On, play on the Overtime Elite team. And I think there's a couple other guys that are like, not lottery guys, but first round guys that play on overtime elite, which is really weird because it's just another G League thing. But it's just for it's like the fucking big baller league. Well, it's the big like, baller it's league. The, I do, but it it's such a weird league because it's like the G League meets like high school, and then like random things. I don't even know. It's like a I don't know what overtime elite is. I've never watched a game in my entire life. I'm very thankful that I, I don't have dude, to be a draft scout and look at all these. Weirdo leagues for NBA if I had to watch If I had to watch overtime elite film, I would shoot myself in the head. It's just a bunch of oh. kids cosplaying NBA player. Like, well, some of those guys are going to actually be NBA players. So yeah, I, I know. I get you, it. Because like, if you're Jonathan Gavoni, you would not be shooting yourself in the head. Well, also, Jonathan, Jonathan Gavoni didn't scout me when I entered the draft. So I got a bone to pick with him. I never got a right. I was probably the only draft eligible player that year who didn't get a write up. Just saying. People forget that Brett People. put his name in the NBA draft. He has the, the documentation to prove it. I have the letter from Erica Ruiz, the director of player personnel, congratulating me on my eligibility or, on my eligibility or whatever, my exemption, whatever she called it. But I do have a letter from the NBA that states I'm eligible for the 2015 NBA draft. Brett, I, I think that we need to change or add to the description of this podcast that we have one draft eligible player that I don't know why I haven't on this up, podcast. I don't know why I haven't done like a brotherhood thing with the 2015 draft class. Like every time, 20, every time a 2015 guy does something good, I'm like, hey, could have been me. Could have been me, dude. Glad you got me, glad you got the spot, bro. Dude, I mean, oh, you know the top two picks that were that year. No, I don't. I was actually trying to think of that while you were saying that. So was that. I. Carl Towns and D'Angelo Russell. My oh, brother. my God. We could have been, been the Wolves' big three. <laughs> oh, man. Talk about lack of leadership. You guys would have blown that thing to, to bits. Luckily, they haven't quite yet, but they're about to. All right, we're going to get to NBA later. Wrap up <laughs> college basketball. I'm wrapping this up. I got UConn winning the title. I think they roll through it. You know, I think the only chance – they don't roll through it is because they've been beating everyone by 20 that if they actually have to play a close game, which they probably will have to do if they get San Diego state, because San Diego state's going to make it a 45 to 50 game, then they might falter under the pressure, but who knows? Also shout out to FAU. They've been insane in clutch time this entire tournament. So if this SDSU game does get close, maybe a little live bet toward, toward the owls. Um, we'll see. I, Really like all of the all of the coaches in this Final Four. I think are all really really fun and very deserving of getting the Final Four. Um, but yeah, I got I got UConn winning this thing uh, pretty pretty handily. Um, so the the title goes to them. 
that's my my bit on on the men's side. Do you have anything to wrap up over there on your end, Brett? Um, no, I don't think so. I I think I'm kind of not rooting for. I just think it'd be really funny if Miami won because of how everyone would just freak out. Big big win for John Ruiz and company. Shout out Life Wallet. Um, yep. And I L baby. Yeah, I just think that would be hilarious. Like, I don't know why. Like, it would just be exceptionally funny to me if that happened. It would lead to a lot of incorrect takes about NIL and how important it is when, like, they just got a lot of transfers and the NIL was definitely, like, nice but not that crazy more the transfer rule than anything else. But, all right, if you're done with that, let's talk about the freaking main event. Women's. Let's do it. (laughs) Strap me into this thing. Got maybe game game of the year. Tonight, Definitely. Best college Iowa, game of the year. Not even Iowa, close. Iowa, South Carolina? Yeah. It's, oh, it's, yeah. we got to hope LSU takes care of business at six against Virginia Tech, and then we've got our dream title. we got LSU versus either South Carolina, which would be awesome in its own way. I think LSU, their only two losses are to South Carolina. At least one of them is because they're both on the feed that game. I know that. And then Iowa, obviously, Caitlin Clark show to see that versus Kim Mulkey, Angel Reese, Flo Johnson, the whole squad over at LSU would be would really be something. Uh, they have a chance for this game to be the highest-rated women's basketball game ever played, this Iowa-South Carolina game. Also, uh, in the in the deleted files of the podcast, we talked about how uh, the atmosphere for this game is going to be exceptional. They're playing in the Mavericks uh, American Airlines Stadium, um, 17,000-ish, probably going to be pretty close to sold out with all those Iowa fans making the trip down to Dallas. Um, and SC's going, trying to go undefeated, back-to-back national titles, Aaliyah Boston, uh, one player of the year last year, playing this year's player of the year, Caitlin Clark, that was announced yesterday, a couple days ago, uh, so kudos to Caitlin Clark, beyond well-deserving, um, probably going to need another 40-point triple-double to take down the Gamecocks, um, I am also highly concerned about Iowa's size against South Carolina's size. So we'll see how that one plays out. Um, And then I don't know if Iowa has a secondary scorer. You got to assume Don Staley does something to try to limit Caitlin Clark however she can. I don't know if she's going to throw the entire kitchen sink at her and put two girls on her or what. I don't think she does. I really don't like. I think she trusts her team enough, which again, maybe to her, to her detriment. issues. Yeah, detriment. Thank you. You you caught me. But that that may be it. Where she just rightfully so, they're undefeated and have cruised here. That she believes in her team and isn't afraid of Caitlin Clark. Which again, if there's any coach in America who wouldn't be afraid of Caitlin Clark, it's probably Don Staley. So again, I think I'm not saying she has any hubris on this. She's a terrific coach, but that may be something where she trusts. We talked about maybe putting Zaya Cook on the entire game. Obviously, good help rules involved, but I think she may trust her team a little too much and not play that little matchup zone that Georgia made because Georgia made that game really boring for her. They got her. I mean, she still had like a quiet 25, but they at least made her not the X factor on every possession. They at least made Gabby Marshall knock down five corner threes in order to get to that point and win that game which was obvious like uh, an omission from or an admission from the beginning that we can't guard her. So I don't know if South Carolina makes that admission because Louisville kind of tried to do the same thing. They didn't really do too much with her. They would just let her catch it at 35 feet. They were just kind of like denying her close to the three-point line. But she could step out literally to the logo and just go grab the ball from someone. And we mentioned this too in the deleted files. We're talking about a lot because it was a good podcast. But she's shooting like what, 40, 50% on 25-footers. So like you 52% can't let on shots yeah. longer than 25 feet. So like you can't let her catch a 30. You have to deny her literally every inch across half court. And I just don't know how many teams are committed to giving the resources to do that. It would be very fun for Don Staley to just full court press her, like her individually. That that I could see Don Staley doing of being like, hey, either Zia Cook or someone else on this team, guard her 94 feet as soon as the ball goes through our hoop stick on her like white on rice like go crazy um so we'll see how that plans i'm also really curious to see what weird variable defense that iowa throws out to try and hinder Aaliyah boston i think they went triangle and two against Haley van lith they did a one two two they did a two three i think they might have broken out a one three one at one point i don't know if they'll press south carolina in any way 
but the Iowa coach has a entire suitcase full of defenses, and I hope that she unloads all of them. Um, and I just don't know that they have any because it's Aaliyah Boston, I believe it's Cardota, Cardoza, um, who's the other very large woman that they have uh, on South Carolina's team. So I don't know that Iowa has the size to deal with both of them. I'm very curious. Seems like a lot of uh, a very big inside-outside game where South Carolina is really going to be pounding the boards, be close to the hoop, and seems like Iowa's going to have to live off live off those threes that they can get from either Caitlin Clark um, or our girl Gabby um, mm-hmm. and see how that happens. So it could just be – I'll be very interested to see how Don Staley decides to go. Do I want to try and choke off the, the main vein here? Or do I want to let the main vein go and cut off everything else and let Kellen Clark try and score 60 um, with, like, two assists? We'll see how that goes. That's a really, really Um, good point, actually. No idea. Uh, She's smart enough to figure it out. This team is undefeated for a reason. They're battle-tested. They will continue to be so. Uh, I do hope that this game is just, like, close. I think the best way forward for the women's game and for more people to to see – that this has been the better tournament this year than the men's tournament is if they get like an elite all time, like Mississippi state, UConn kind of title game that they got. If they can get that in this SC Iowa game where like Caitlin Clark has the ball with like 35 seconds, has to make a shot. SC might have to make one, whatever, get one down to the wire. That'd be really, 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 really great for this game. And then on the other side, what we've talked about, I need the disco ball. That is Kim Mulkey, the 55 year old Southern woman, who might also have the same wardrobe as a gay New York man, just waltzing into to Houston and into Dallas, uh, dispatching of a very bland Va Tech team. Not that very, they're not very bland. good. They're they're super super good. They're awesome. They were they're a one seed for a reason. But this LSU team is just so much more interesting. And in terms of a a, a title game that would draw the most fans. An LSU versus SC would be insane, but also an LSU versus Iowa would give me weird, like Outback Bowl flashbacks. It would be better also, than, it, but it would be a, a way better crowd than an Outback. Bowl. It well, would be an unbelievable. It would be an LSU ticket, regular season crowd. I think the tickets would be higher if Iowa advances than SC For advances, sure. just because of the intrigue of, you know, Goliath is is down, you know, the, the team that we all assumed would be great. Because that's the thing with women's basketball. It feels like there's one great team, and that's it. Like, they're going to win the title. They always cruise. This year, again, to reiterate with the women's tournament, this is the first time since 1998 that the first – that two number one seeds failed to make the Sweet 16. Um, we only have – I think we have two number one seeds in the Final Four in Vitek and SC. Um, had a nine seed at one point. Uh, Louisville was a five. I was a two. So it's nice to get some different players into this. And if you can knock off Goliath, which is that SC team that has gone 36, they went 36 2 last year. I think they're 35 and no, 0. 36 year. and 0. Yeah, whatever the number would come out to. Yeah. So, like, it's quite, if you can knock them off, it becomes much more intriguing, especially when you have the National Player of the Year. A woman who's shaping up to like, if Caitlin Clark steered into more of like, hey, I'm awesome at basketball with more of a personality, you'd probably be talking like Candace Parker level of like fin- like fanaticism around her. She's already kind of reaching that. I think she um, has. Like, but if she could just steer into it, like if she could go the social media route or be more engaging on that end, right now she just like gives me Midwestern, I'm really good at basketball. I just like kind of want to be shy and by myself and chill. She almost gives you like KD, I'm just here to hoop kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. But like if she could give me LeBron James, I'm the best in the world. I'm awesome. I can see all this coming from a million miles away. Sky to the moon. She's going to be number one pick whenever she comes out. Um, so I'm very, very, very interested to see how it all plays out with Caitlin Clark because it would be a really fun dynamic. I think we talked about this in the deleted files, but I think she kind of has to come back next year. So it'd be a very fun dynamic to have her win a title, have all the pressure on her next year to continue to deliver these performances and see how that affects next year's kind of game. Is Iowa the favorite? Is it SC again? Who can challenge Iowa? So I'm I'm, I'm interested to see how it all goes. But this women's Final Four tonight is going to be insane. I'm so excited for it. It was uh... – 
couple of things to to add on to that. Just something that I always like to know about Caitlin Clark is for years, for two, three years, I mean, including this year, you always see the clips of her. I don't think a lot of people really bother to like dig in or like watch her play a ton until this tournament, last year's tournament when freaking Creighton knocked him out. Um, when they, so they didn't even get out of this first weekend. But through all that, every time you watch her, like she's the type of person where you see highlights and you're like, there's no way she is this good. There is no action like these these 25 footers, like it's great she shoots them. They have to be an anomaly. Like these cool passes, these stat lines I sometimes see, like ESPN's tweeting them out because they're so unique, right? And then you go look at it and she averages 27, 8, and 8 on like 50% from three or 40% from three, 50% from the floor. So she is efficient. She's a, I mean, she has range like no women's basketball player has ever even been close to. Like, no one is even close to her range. No men's college basketball player has the type of green light she has. We would have seen him in the tournament. And in terms of just overall shooters, I don't even know if NBA players have that green of a light. Like, I think she is a, I, I'll, I'll put my stake on top 20 shooter in the world right now, I would say. And I feel pretty confident saying that man or woman. And for sure, top-ranked shooting woman probably ever already. It does seem that she, man or woman, she's the closest we've got to Steph Curry. I know that Dame is, like, just as good of a shooter, but he's got, like, a little more ferocity to his game, I guess, than Steph does. Steph just has that orbit around him. Caitlin Clark is, like, this weird mix of Steph combined with, like, a like a LeBron in terms of her ability. Like, she is not the biggest person on the court or anywhere close to it and still averages eight rebounds, which is yeah. insane. Like she's a very good rebounding guard, and she runs the entire team. Not only does she score at an insanely high level, but she's the one initiating offense for all of her teammates. So she's got this weird combo of Steph and LeBron that, like, she doesn't quite have the personality, like, for it. But if she – like, I think there was a game winner she hit during the regular season – might have been against Ohio State or Indiana. I think Indiana, it was Indiana. The Indiana one. She yeah. hit it and she starts sprinting around the court. Like if you can get her doing that stuff where she's just like totally jubilant, it's gonna really, really, really change people's perspective of her and women's basketball. Like this game is very fun because anytime you can get anybody shooting logo threes, it's fantastic. And she takes like three of them a game and they're just casual. They're, they're like walking up yep. the court. Pull up logo. You're like, oh, we didn't even want to initiate offense today. All right, great, whatever. So yeah, I'm fascinated of the the shooting of Iowa versus the 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 big the low post play of of SC, and it'll just be a David versus Goliath where like SC is just giant trees down by the basket, and you got Iowa, all these little tiny guys just throwing rocks at Goliath. They're just trying to chuck stuff over them, trying to make threes. It'll be fantastic. I'm very pumped. I think it's the first game tonight, no? Or is it no, it's uh, it's the second game. All right, perfect. We got the nine o'clock time. The whole country should be done with dinner. Sit down, appointment TV. If you if you listen to this pod before the game, please plug in. It's going to be probably the best game of the weekend, if we're being honest. Yeah, I feel like we're in for a, a tough awakening for for Kaylin Clark's partner in crime. Is it Sinana? Sinano, however you say that, she's uh. She's yeah. got the all Big Ten accolades. I don't really think she's going to be able to do much against Leah Boston. That's going to be uh, no. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough awakening for the girl from Watertown, Minnesota. Not really the uh, makeup <laughs> of someone who plays against uh, someone like Leah Boston. So that'll be it's interesting. Not but just Leah Boston. It's it's Cardoza too. Like she has two giant women she has to deal with, and she's like a good low post player. She's just yeah. not like their level or their size. Either. She, she's not big enough. She's just like a tall, she's just six three. She's like a tall general woman where these were what it's only a boss. Like she's like six eight. Like I think yeah, you. six six. Yeah. I think Cardoza's like six nine, maybe. It's yeah. Insane. So she so she's like power forward size, can like get you with some footwork, but like these girls are legit, like the size of an NBA player. So we'll see how that goes. But what I wanted to say, the reason that I wanted to talk about her too is like that girl's all big ten because of Caitlin Clark, because of the gravity around Caitlin Clark and the fact that Caitlin Clark for everything you could see her being an incredibly selfish player. She's a selfless passer, which is why we know her name, which is why we know Gabby Marshall's name, which is why we even try to pronounce that name because it should be so easily forgettable to say Monica, she's a Z, whatever. But again, <laughs> I, I gave Sinona my best try. So that's just, that that's, that's where we are here. Um, so yeah, that, that, I think that, that pretty well covers all the, uh, all the women. We'll take a break and then we'll come back with the, uh, with the NBA stuff. 
Carson, I'll let you uh, drive the NBA segment. We'll get to mine later, but mine's just about the Western Conference. All I do is root forward against all the other teams, 5 through 12, which is hard because it's half the West. So they're playing each other half the time. That Warriors-Pelicans game a few weeks ago or a few nights ago, I was like, who do I – like, if the Pelicans win, they come into a tie with the Wolves, but that means the Warriors also fall back closer to the six, and the Wolves have the tiebreaker with the Warriors. So I root for that, or do I just root for the Warriors to, like, fully eliminate the Pelicans – from playing stuff and then not have to worry about that. And so the Wolves have a more clear path to just making the playoffs. So I got that going on. They're on a freaking West Coast road trip. So I'm up until midnight every other night now watching against the Kings and the Suns. Got the Lakers tonight. So it's just uh, the tough existence. It's playoffs every time. I don't really sit down for these games anymore. It's not a leisurely experience. It's just I'm riddled with anxiety. Nas reads out now. Nas Reed can oh, the, man of the year. God, he was awesome. It's just so I'll get to all my stuff. If there's anything you want to uh, get out of the way before we talk in the West Coast log jam, that is where pretty much all my takes lie right now. Because that's to be transparent with people, that's what I watch. That's what I'm focused on. Brett, do you think uh, the West standings is more of a cluster? What do you think is more of a clusterfuck? The West standings or the Mavs' current basketball situation, as Kyrie so eloquently put it? You know, that's a joke. Sit- you don't. You don't need to answer it. We'll cover it later. It's fine. All right. All right. I don't need to get to it. We'll, we'll, I promise you, we'll talk maps. Uh, in terms of like what I'm talking about, what I'm thinking of, look at the standings. Don't peek that often into the East standings because the West is just so 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 interesting. Um, newsflash to everybody paying attention to stuff: the top of the East is better than the top of the West, like by by a pretty significant margin. It's kind of weird to think about, but. Uh, Milwaukee, Philly, and Boston all have 50 wins. The are they the best three teams team, in the league? Do you think? Uh, no. Dem- well, Denver, are you asking me, like, do I think that they're the best three teams, or are you asking me record-wise? No, do you think? Because I think those are the best three teams in the league. Mm, Especially with the way Philly's well, looked as of late. Well, Philly's weird because they looked really good, and then, like, the last two weeks they've looked bad, and then you have Embiid and Harden with two soft tissue injuries, and they ducked the Denver again, which was a bummer. Like a massive, not a red flag, but real big bummer. Kind of like, a, could we have skipped the other game before the Denver game and then played the Denver game? Whatever. Philly's kind of coasting too because they, they kind of have the three seed locked up for the most part. The Cavs are chasing tail a little bit. But it's just weird because, like, I, those three teams are all over 50 wins. Denver's the only team in the West over 50 wins at 51-24. And then you have Golden State – or you have Memphis and uh, Sacramento – and they're that like 48 and 46. Cleveland has 48 wins. The Knicks have 44. Giant bummer for the Knicks because Randall's out. Says two weeks. Probably going to be longer because it's an ankle and they have to reevaluate and probably get another week after that. So I don't know if he's going to get back in time for the playoffs because that, for the record, for everybody listening, just so you're all aware, playing starts April 11th. That, got this- that graphic on the ESPN broadcast, like, Made me like shit, like do a double take. I was like, "That's in ten days. Like that's not that's next week." It's like getting hit in the head with a baseball bat. It's intense. Like I, it's weird because I think this Tuesday, the Tuesday of this week was the first time where I was like, "It's the weird time where I'm like, whoa, there's no other sports but NBA basketball." Like we are officially uh, once we get through this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We are NBA basketball till the wheels fall off, and then I get to take a break because I don't care about baseball, and there are 162 games. I might be so, back in on baseball. Quick sidebar. Pitch I, clock, shifts. Pitch clock's wild. Big fan of that. Still not going to watch games. I'm just going to be honest. They're, college baseball. I don't, I don't, I'll tune into some SEC college. I fucking love SEC baseball, dude. I love going to the games. I hate watching the games. Maybe with the pitch clock, that'll change. Who knows? Whatever. Doesn't matter. We're not a baseball show. Um, Regardless, the top four teams in the East have a better record than all of the West, essentially, which is weird to say. The the weird thing with the West, though, I don't know. This is almost like the Lakers thing of, like, Lakers one and two on their roster were, like, really good, obviously, LeBron and AD. But then three through nine was, like, worse than every other team in the league it's kind of like the same thing in the west or in the east where like one through four is like holy crap this is insane but everything else is garbage kind of feels like in the east and in the west it's like 
everything is like the three through ten, the two through ten in the West is just incredible, insane. They're they could all be the same thing. And then you have this weird, giant, lurking, looming dark cloud that's coming for everyone in the Suns and KD got back. Uh, put a smackdown on your wolves. For being honest, oh, put a smackdown. The lead changed like twenty times. Okay, rest, I'm with Rudy the ref screwed you. That was, I mean, I'm not a ref screwed us guy, but I don't know. Chris Finch sure. is a pretty level. Chris Finch is a pretty level headed guy, so I'll take I'll take Finch's word if he's if he's coming after the refs a little bit. The one play I will say, the egregious offensive foul call on Rudy Gobert, who struggles enough offensively, we don't need to be calling fouls. Kill okay, me. I I'm assuming you're referring to the one that is going making its rounds on Twitter. It's an offensive foul, man. It's not that egregious. He literally throws his it, no, he doesn't. His elbow and throws it forward. Yes, no, he, does. he doesn't. No, his he right doesn't. His right elbow is going boom. No, yeah. it's not. That's such a like regular like turn move. He barely even hits him, and whoever it is, I don't even remember, goes flying back. I think, and, I think it's book, and he gets him yeah, in the chest with the elbow, and then goes up. So like, no, I didn't doesn't. think it was that. I watched it. I was like, you probably don't need to call that one. Like, there's plenty of times where you let that one go, but it's. Can definitely be deemed a foul. I, I didn't think that yeah, was, I, I was expecting. I, I was expecting to watch that clip and be like, Rudy Gobert just like hit a jump hook and they somehow called a foul on him. He went into book, like book flopped, but they called the flop. Like, I'll be I, honest, I, I thought it was a foul. And I'll go the opposite. I thought it was a foul in the moment that I watched the clip back. I didn't really think about it for like three days and watched it back on Twitter. And I'm like, they're damn right it wasn't a foul. But <laughs> just stay on top. That was a good game. It was a really good game, though. I'll give you know all credit to Fantastic everyone game. involved. Credit to the yeah. Suns for, I mean, a great, a great win for the Suns in the sense that Wolves were obviously four in a row, proving themselves to be, I don't, good team might not be the right word because it's just one stretch, but a formidable opponent. And for Katie to go five or for eighteen and to struggle and to get that Chris Paul eight and groove back that they saw, just killing Rudy in that fucking drop, which I understand. There's nothing they can do on that. That's part of what makes the Rudy Gobert thing such a difficult part. Is you expect him to cover so much ground? I get it. But Chris Paul was awesome there. And I think that was like a Chris Paul boiler point for what he'll look like in the playoffs because yeah. Chris Paul is decisive. He's awesome. He was decisive. I think KD is going to help him out a ton, obviously. So I, I have no qualms about, uh, about Chris Paul, which I think might be the best part about this is you get the most efficient version of Chris Paul here with everything he needs around him. So I think that part will be really interesting to, uh, to watch unfold because that was – Against my own team, that was the classic Chris Paul pick and roll and mid range masterclass. That's what that fourth quarter was. I'll be curious for Chris to see in other matchups where he doesn't have a Rudy to pick on how successful he can be, especially considering how can like how quickly those games are. Chris is going to get worn down a little bit, I think. So anyway, to bring it back to the point of like, do I think that Milwaukee? Philly and Boston are the best three teams in the league. Yes and no. Milwaukee feels really good. Boston knocked the soup out of Milwaukee last night. Granted, Milwaukee, five games in seven days, five different cities. A lot of fatigue there. I didn't watch, so I, I can't prove that that happened. It was a 41-point game, and Milwaukee didn't hit a single three. It was pretty incredible, and I know that you don't want to give the credit just to the Celtics in any way, shape, and form. But it's weird because the Celtics the night before lost to the Wiz, uh, two days before lost to the Wiz. They've been so up and down. Same with Philly. Jalen Brown's on my last really... nerve too, by the way. Jason Tatum yeah. has always been on my nerves. But Jalen Brown, is he's he's getting up. His little pseudo, the whole, oh, they don't want me. Oh, oh, oh shut the fuck up. Uh, all right. Well, that's a guy that's just like reacting to how people are treating him. So I have no, no idea why. No, you hate him. no, no clue um, why you hate J- Jalen Brown. I no hate Jalen Brown. I hate them both. Yeah. But I might, I might hate Jalen Brown more by the end of this because he's such a. Old... All right. Well, we can have a full fledged Boston discussion in terms of the higher level. I can't have a fair that's, one. So that's, that's fine. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, that's fine. I'll, I'll fight the other side. Um, Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly do feel like three of the top five best teams in the league and then it's Denver in that other group and then there's a fight for the fifth spot and I think the Suns are the ones that claim it just because KD and Book and all that they have there but like I don't know if you know this the only team in the West that has like a legit road record or one that's uh I'm looking at it 
The only team. Let me guess. That is before you do it. Yep. Uh, can I can I finish the nice. question? The yeah, only yeah. team that is more than two games above five hundred in the West on the road is who? I'm gonna go with the Clippers. Clippers. The playoff teams, for the record. Actually, no, any team in the West. You said Clippers. Yeah. Clippers are are the only are one of the teams that are above five hundred. There are three right, teams. I'll- in the West, there. that have an above 500 road record. One is the Nuggets. They're 19 and 18 on the road. The second one is the Clippers. They're 20 and 18 on the road. And then, like the Beam Kings, are 23 and 14 on the road. I would have never guessed. And everyone else in the West has a losing record on the road. I People keep being like, oh, yeah, we'll play the Kings. Draymond said it. He's like, oh, I don't want to travel that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. What quote. <laughs> Super weird. Don't care. But like people have been cropping up, like, oh yeah, we'll play the Kings. The Kings are the only team in the West that went on the road. Like, I feel like that's going to matter. I know that everyone's like, light the beam, Kings. Like, they're the oh, only team that's amazing. played together all year long. Their starting five has logged way more minutes than their starting five. Like, how could you not? If you're the Warriors, how can you not be scared of that when you have a nine and thirty road record and they have a twenty three and fourteen road record and you've played together for twenty one games off? four of you or all three of you if four if Wiggins comes back and their entire starting five plays together every night. They don't miss games. Dude, it's insane. So like I I really want to like give the nod to the Suns and you probably have to just because KD and they're still undefeated when KD has played and KD always fits seamlessly into any team he ever plays for and somehow comes back from injury for the most part looking like he never was injured, which is just a weird, weird conundrum. But again, I raised this flag when they traded for KD. A little worried about the depth over there in Phoenix, especially at guard with Chris and him, the wheels falling off there. And if any sort of injury happens to any of those four, they're gone immediately. The Kings, I think, I'm going to go a little zag here. I'm going to give it to the Kings. I know Grizz have played better, especially since Jaws come back. But, like, no Brandon Clark, possibly no Adams. So, like, I don't really know what that first-round series is going to be, whether it's the Wolves, whether it's the Warriors, the Lakers, whomever that could be. But the Grizz could get caught in the first round relatively easily. And I just, like, I weirdly trust the Kings more, even though it's just so odd. Like, they can't play a lick of defense, but that offense travels everywhere. And unlike the Bucks, who are – like, I feel like the Bucks can not hit a three, like – I think in that game seven they played in Boston last year, they were like sub 20% on three-pointers. And last night, definitely, I think they were three for 22, like in the first half. So the Bucks can go hot and cold. The Kings feel uh, feels like their floor is like pretty high at like 30%. And their ceiling is could be like 50 or 60% from, uh, from three-point over a series. And in the NBA where three-pointers are so important and variance is so key to winning – individual playoff games it feels like the kings have the least amount of variance somehow which is insane and should i remind everyone darren fox has been the most clutch player in the league this entire close too bar none nobody's holding the glass to him so yeah i think the top five teams in the league it goes bucks celtics sixers nuggets kings and i don't know what it is my overall point is like the top of the east is better but at the same time there are way – I feel like almost every team in the West, maybe stopping at the Wolves, have a chance to win a title or get to playing for a conference title. finals, yeah. Yeah, so like the, the amount of teams is definitely more in the West, but I'm more scared of those Eastern Conference teams, especially those top three. The Cavs are just kind of lingering. It would be very interesting to see if like – who can I don't know if the Celts can quite catch the Bucks for the one seed. I doubt it, but that's going to be a really fascinating Cavs Bucks second round series. Like I'm very excited for the East in the second round. The West is going to be appointment TV for the first round, but for the sure. East is going to be like all right. Well, the second round and the finals are going to be conference finals are going to be unbelievable. So yeah, uh, just great. to just to hammer home one of your. Uh... King's points. I looked up three point shooting percentage in March for mm-hmm. all their just entire team. Herder 51%, Monk 40%, Kessler Edwards 40%, Sabonis, he doesn't really shoot him, but 40%. Uh, Keegan Murray 38%, Trey Lyles 37%, and then Fox and Barnes are both 34%. 
but everyone who plays on their team pretty much is 40% above, except guys who like Darren Fox doesn't need to shoot a ton of threes. You know, he shoots a bunch of, but like Darren Fox won't shoot that many threes in the playoffs. So like the Herder thing is huge. Kevin Herder is unbelievable this year. And he's been so good this month. And the other thing with Sacramento that's interesting about them is that they have like a bevy of shooters. So for example, if Herder is off that night, they just put Monk in and Monk can make just as many. Like, they have so many guys, it's almost impossible for them to have a down night shooting the ball. So I'm very – or it's like Milwaukee has, like, Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, and, like, Joe Ingles. And, like, if two of those dudes aren't shooting well, guess what? They're probably going to lose the game. Like, it's just it's just that simple. So I'm in terms of big-picture stuff, it took me a second to realize, but I think I'm more afraid of the East overall in terms of title contentions. But the West is just – so messy that's what everyone's attention gets drawn to and mine is definitely so why don't we jump into that do you do you have any west takes do you want to explore the wolves how worried are we about your savior nas reed breaking oh, the dude, wrist? i think it really hinders really hinders the wolves playoff chances so i don't see, know I, why where do you want to go because the wolves have the best next man up for a sixth man who does all the things nas reed does who cut into some of nas reed's minutes i know i know where you're going Let's Ooh. go. Where, where's wow. you going? Kyle Anderson, slow mo, baby. Oh, slow mo is slow, dude. Slow mo played. I we were texting about this the other day. Slow mo was playing point guard in the fourth quarter for him in a really important game against the Kings at one point, and he was doing an awesome job of it. The slow mo stat sheet stuffer that he's got going for Mark. Every game is like twelve points, five rebounds, six assists, two blocks, and a steal. Like that's he's got, he's that's got the Rondo Draymond us. stat line going. For sure. And so, but the Nas, like Nas Reed scored, I think 20 points in like five of his last eight games. Like this isn't just like losing a good bench player. Who's like fun to root for. And like a fan favorite. like this is losing a really, really, really good player. Like that's, that is what they lose in not like they, they lose a top five, six man or top five well, backup five. If you want to say, I, I would say top five, six man, but best or second best backup five in the entire league. Strangely, I think Nas Reed is the linchpin to the versatility that the Wolves had. And I think that's going to be their downfall in the playoffs. I think the reason the Wolves have been so feisty the last five games with Cat coming back and everything like that is they can be so variable, whether it's Cat and Nas, Nas and Gobert, Gobert and Cat. You know, like their front line can shape shift really well to whoever they're playing. For and sure. the linchpin in that is Nas Reed. And so without him, I'll be fascinated to see how much they play Cat and Gobert together and how well those guys do play together and if it's possible. Because if not, there's gonna they're going to have to go stretches where, like, it's Torian, it's Cat, it's Anthony Edwards, it's Conley, it's Slow-Mo or whatever to, to get that figured out. And I don't know, in the, like, that was, I guess, my worry about the Wolves was, like, Who's their final five? Who are they ending games with? And I don't know that they know that, but with Nas Reed, I felt really good about their ability to be like, it might not be the same guys every game, but it's five guys we could trust. Now, I don't know that they can come up with the lineups every night in the playoffs to be like, all right, these are the five guys that are going to close this that like we can trust in any situation. The one thing I will say for the Wolves, especially when playoff time comes, is what killed them last year was just end of game idiotic stuff. Just terrible True. and terrible end of game offense. And there's been there's definitely been flashes of that against the Suns, against the King, like against the Kings, against the Warriors. Like the Warriors, they shouldn't have won that game, but both offenses were just pathetic at the end of the game. So they got they got <laughs> lucky there, hit, but they can't hit a couple of huge threes. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I love about the Wolves this year is they take especially in March in this kind of stretch, they're taking such good care of the ball. Conley takes care of the ball. McLaughlin takes care of the ball. Even Noel, who's kind of a streaky, like two guard or like a combo guard. Yep. Even he takes mm-hmm. care of the ball. while well. slow-mo handles the ball. Well, like, so everyone they have, like Mike Conley will not commit dumb turnovers. Kyle Anderson will not commit dumb turnovers. And the best thing again, McLaughlin same way, which is such a premium to have in that backup point guard spot. Talk all the time about Tyus Jones and Memphis. But since McLaughlin's kind of worked his way back a little bit, you do kind of forget in his 18 to 20 minutes that, like, he doesn't just come in to offset Conley. He comes in to be a point guard. Like, he doesn't shy away from the fact that it is now his job to run and initiate the offense and create things. Like, they don't don't stay – like, the Wolves don't stagger a ton. So, like, 
when McLaughlin's in there, if it's him or Noel, like they are in there because Chris Finch trusts them to play point guard. And again, I think with McLaughlin coming back, he averages like five assists in like 15 minutes a game and like mm-hmm. half a turnover. Like it's pretty, it's pretty incredible the way he drives the bus in there. And then Conley too, for what Conley does for Gobert, what he does with that little mid range. I was a big D'Angelo Russell guy, but Conley is all the good of Russell without any of the stupidity. It is so just great to see. The problem is though, end of game, the one knock will be maybe not as dynamic of a score. So he's never going to hit like a fadeaway three to bail you out a little bit. But again, on the flip side of that, you don't need to be bailed out as much with him. So True. it's just the, the end of game stuff there. And the one thing he has revealed is just how obvious it is that Rudy Gobert can't catch a fucking basketball because no one was passing it to him before. And now Conley does all the time. And God, can he just not, you were so right about it. Everyone who watched him for an extended period of time knew it, talked about it. But this is my first real taste. He had his moments. This is my first real taste of like when he does it in open situations. I saw a lot of him like log jam. He'd bring it down, whatever. Stuff happens. You can play it off. There's times where he's one-on-one with a six, seven guy and he just can't corral the basketball. So Conley has made that glaringly obvious. So that's, I guess, the the catch-22 that I'm interested to see with the Wolves in late-game scenarios in these playoffs because you're right. Last year against, against the Grizz, it was just a myriad of stupidity all over the board. Edwards was too young. Cat was too immature, yada, yada, yada. You would think on the surface that Conley solves that, and he does to like a large degree. There is a very weird thing, having been a Jazz fan with Conley, where there's occasional times, occasional games, I should say, when it gets to crunch time, or Conley actually makes like some pretty bad decisions or like gets relatively flustered or might not have that dynamic ability to get loose. And so even though I do think that overall they'll be a lot smarter and a lot more steady because of Conley, I still think you're going to get some Minnesota games where you're going to be like, God, we just had the game. It was in our hand. All I had to do is execute in this one situation, and they're not going to do it. And I'll be really curious to see what Conley's presence is in those moments and how that gets kind of meted out. Because the other guy that we haven't talked about once with Minnesota is freaking Anthony Edwards. Like, he's he was a young pup last playoffs, got a bunch of really good reps. I don't know that he's going to quite take the leap that they'll need him to to execute the upset. But if he can, or if you can get him for like, there's three really close games and he's awesome in two of them. Like he's going to be the reason he's going to be that tipping point because he's that guy that Conley's going to get you set up and get you into the thing. But I don't think that I like as a Wolves guy, I don't necessarily know that you want Conley being the one to finish the play at the end of the game, you're probably going to prefer that to be Ant. And if Ant can find himself to be slow or measured in his movements and know exactly what he wants to do, you guys are going to be much better off than crazy Ant gets something off a weird kick and just like shoots a three or hits a pull-up or whatever. So he, I think, is going to be the thing for the Wolves that pushes them above or below what they're kind of expecting and, and how they can kind of get through the playoffs. Yeah. I think uh thing about Ant too, very, very underrated three point shooter, which in come playoff time is it was revealed last year too. Like he can, he can be a guy who does bail you out, who can knock down shots. And a lot of people think, cause they see like the cool dunks and like going in the rim. He's got a lot more to his game than that. And I want to see that a little more in the playoffs too. Just I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump in quick. The other thing that I want to see him do is dominate on the defensive side he's got it in him like Jaden mcdaniels and he wants to NBA. like Anthony yeah, Edwards when he wants, wants to, to and i want him to want to for like five of the seven games they play because that that's the other thing with this wolves team where they might be better situated than that than that jazz team is that they have guys that will play individual defense we talked about mcdaniels uh slow-mo has been really good defensively edwards has the ability to do that so if they can find a way to make life easier for Rudy where he's not doing the in out in out kind of deal or chasing stuff or 
getting exposed, that's going to be a really big ingredient in their upset recipe. If they just kind of become a revolving door on defense, I don't think they got much of a shot. So we'll see how that plays out. I think Edwards is the linchpin there defensively to be like, if this guy can be engaged on both sides of the ball for most of the series, the Wolves are going to be a problem. Which uh, which quasi playing team kind of team in this mix? I guess we'll throw out the Suns, but we can include the Warriors for this question if if you want. Who like who can actually make a run from this? Because like it's fun to talk about the Wolves. I don't think the Wolves can make a run. I don't think the Pelicans make a run. I really don't think the Warriors can. Which like kind of leads me to the Clippers, but like I don't really oh, want... no PG man. I, That's the, true. but there's still the Paul George. There's a couple injuries that are just such a bummer. The Randall injury for the Knicks make them so much less ferocious. Paul George for the Clippers. I just. It's just so empty. It feels like like I, I, they should be better. They it, they can be good. They might still be good. I don't really know. I'm not going to give up on the Warriors, mainly just because they have Steph and it's been amazing. And like Steph is Steph can swing a playoff game. He proved that in the finals. Honestly, I'm looking at these eight teams here and. We'll go Warriors, Wolves, Lakers, Pelicans, Thunder, and Mavs. Throw out the Mavs. I don't think that the Thunder can make a run, but I think they can make a first-round first, first round series highly interesting, so I do want to see that. The Pelicans have been playing better, but there's no Zion, so I don't think the top end of that is really capable of making a run. Then I kind of get into a weird little Lakers bit where I'm like, maybe? I- Maybe I think I would still take. I you know, I, I don't know why. Out of that group, I, I would still take the Clippers. I think I'd take the Warriors just because of the history of it all, and it's really hard to say no to Draymond and to Steph and to Clay and all those guys and and Kerr getting it figured out. Like I, there's no reason they should be this bad on the road. So I, you have to assume they get that solved. Honestly, do you? Like well, I don't know. I really don't know. Like maybe it's no not idea. anomaly anymore. Like I just, I yeah, I don't, but I, just, I don't get it. With the with, with the prep that they can do, you'd think that they'd be able to figure it out. Maybe not, but they're probably the most well posed team to make that run because if they can figure out the road thing, then they're a real problem because they don't lose at home. So like uh, if they can even just steal one, maybe two games on the road, it's going to be really hard for teams to beat them if they can get a win on the road. With the Clippers, too, something to keep an eye on coming back from injury after being out for three weeks. The bone stuff, he's been really, really good for him. He, dude. He has been. He has been. You're, been right, you're right. You're he's, right. He's been legit the last four games. Like, into playoff guy to watch. Well, there's going to be a bones game in the playoffs. 100%. Well, there's going to be a bones game. It's going to be fascinating Clippers' sons if it stays that way, which I assume it will, of like, the Clippers weirdly could attack the the one major weakness on the Suns, which is that depth. So, like, if they could just throw a bunch of guards and wings at those four guys, at those three dudes, I know that they have eight, but Zubac and Aiden will just match off. If they could throw people at, like, KD, Book, and Chris Paul and get those guys fatigued. Some and- Covington, some man. Some yeah, bones. like if you could, you could steal the eight minutes and be like plus ten in those eight bench minutes. Like that's going to be huge for that series. And so that I think is the weird part where I think the Clippers strangely match up really well with the Suns. Um, and so they might be able to win that series and then get Denver. And then you're right if they can get to Denver. I don't know. It could be weird again. Beat Denver I mean, and look at that. You're in the final. So it's really not that far fetched. I'm coming around to your point. They're a good matchup, in my opinion, for Phoenix. It might just be that KD and Book together are too much for a PG-less Clippers team. So we'll see how that shakes out, but I'm fascinated with that matchup. And you're probably right in that the Clippers have it. But for whatever reason, there just feels like an emptiness with this Clippers team that I I just can't shake. But right now, because that emptiness has been – they've been – with Kawhi and PG, it's so hard to get it right. They bring in Westbrook. They swap out Wall. They do all that stuff. 
They're finally in the flow. Right now, what they are getting is peak Kawhi, pretty much. Kawhi has been yes. incredible in the month of Fantastic. March. The revival of Eric Gordon. Don't underestimate a guy like Eric Gordon in a playoff series. Been in plenty of big moments. Can knock down 40% of his threes. He's knocking down like 45% this month. Same thing with Batum. Batum's a not-scared guy. Can knock down corner threes for you. Covington, you can throw a people at. Powell and Bones can both be your heater guy off the bench. And like I said with Bones, Bones is shooting the ball efficiently, which he's never really done before. So if you can get efficient Bones on top of high-energy defensive Bones, then you can just boot Westbrook out of all this if you need to. But if you really need Westbrook, he can be your Bones. Like one of those guys, Norm Powell, Bones, or Westbrook, one's going to kill you in every game, and one's going to be really important for you every game. If you can neutralize the one killing you, which again, with Bones, he's probably the most susceptible to that just because he's younger. I think Russell Westbrook can kind of pull back in the playoffs if, if you can get him to buy in a little more, which he is a little bit off the bench and all that. But they're really versatile. They're really good defensively. Their best player, Kawhi Leonard, is willing to play defense. And they just have a bunch of guys who are willing sharers of the basketball, willing three-point shooters, and a guy now who can have the whole orbit around him like the way it was always supposed to be for the last two or three years with Kawhi. And at his peak, when Kawhi is Kawhi, like he's so easy to forget about, but he's 25 points and five assists automatically every night if you need him to be. So I'm a, the, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. In, in, the matchup, in the matchup with the Suns, I really hope Ty Lue uses Westbrook as like a, just like a battery drainer for Chris Paul. Like, just exhaust Chris Paul with Russell Westbrook. Just make him – Russell Westbrook should drive on him, pick him up 80 feet. Like, just piss Chris Paul off. Chris Paul has seen it all and is the master of, like, pissing other people off. Russell Westbrook's constant energy is just going to be like – Chris Paul is going to be like the dad who has to babysit the three kids when the mom's gone. He's like, oh, my God. Well, you guys just – 10 minutes, please. I just need 10 minutes. And Russ isn't going to give him 10 minutes. And so I think that weirdly could be the thing that almost like pushes him over the edge. Uh, so you're right and all that. But I, the West is a mess. I, we're not going to know much about it until we know about it. You know what I mean? You kind of have to let these next yeah, 10 like days just... play out. Everyone's got five or six games. It'll shake itself out. I'm actually really excited for us to talk next week. Um, we got all NBA. We got all our awards. Got the playoff. The playoff picture should be a lot more clear. Um, I'm very excited. It just seems right now. Just enjoy the chaos. So, turn, and it's so yeah. Turn your TV so on. Yeah turn, yeah, turn your TV on. Watch a couple games. Watch the chaos unfold. Pick pick your teams. See how they're going to go. It'll be very fun. I'm excited for how this this is going to to unravel itself over the next week and change. I'm also just with this West thing, I'll finish on this. I'm, I am intrigued, but I'm also just so curious because there's been mm -hmm. like, it has never been so impossible to like zero in and pick matchups and, and figure like, there's nothing to predict. There's nothing to analyze. There's nothing to think about because we haven't had a three, six, four five type collision course all year long, or even like yep. one or two teams possibly. So any number of these eight teams can play in any number of matchups in that three, six, in that four, five, in that two, seven, in the one, eight. Like it's, it's impossible to predict. So I'm really curious when, like you said, end of the year, we maybe start to get more clarity, but just when that season ends, when you can kind of take a deep breath and go, okay, what does a Memphis Lakers two, seven series actually look like now? Because there has been no time to prepare ourselves for any of that. And so that will be really interesting. Again, also the last part of that too, is with everyone playing now. Like these last seven, eight games, yeah. the first time you can really like look at any of these teams. And it is so funny that it basically whenever it was like a week and a half ago, everyone kind of came back and it's just been ever since LeBron came back pretty much kind of what I'm using as the benchmark there. And it's just yeah. kind of been a, it's kind of been a 10 game season for like half the West to determine it. And I will put way more stock in what happens in March and April a little bit too, obviously, than anything that happened in the year. So just fucking sort last 15 and that's what you go off of for your net ratings, for your player stats, for who's doing what, because yep. nothing else matters except that, which I think is a very interesting dynamic of you play all 82, but it's really like we're all so close that there's eight games at the end of the year that really truly matter. And nothing you did before that matters one iota. Well, that's the point about these last this last week of like everyone, everyone's got five to six games. Just tonight, for example, Wolves-Lakers, that's a possible matchup. Clips-Grizz, that could be a possible playoff matchup. You got Suns Nuggets just tonight. 
Like every night you're going to get these possible matchups. So pay attention. They could all pop up. So that that's my parting shot. Enjoy tonight for hoops. Enjoy the weekend for college. Soak it all in. We are in the stretch run. I cannot wait to watch and absorb and enjoy all this basketball over the next month that we got. Big weekend ahead. Watch the women's final floor tonight, everybody. That's my that's my parting tip for you. We will see you next week.